Say that the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I'm just trying to deal with this supermoon situation. Mm. Well, we're supermooning. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty serious. Okay. Okay. I have a friend who got in trouble for supermooning in high school. <laughs> yeah. That's why you do have a van. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. yeah also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Are the supermoon and the super baby connected in any way? Well, you know what it is. The regular moon was always good enough for mom and dad. Okay. So forget your super moon. We don't need it. Okay. Sure. Wow, that took a that took a very conservative turn I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Joining us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Crash Media Church, Lee Younger. Jed, I think if you're in one of those like if somebody's in one of those old school grocery stores that doesn't have the the baby changing station there in the bathroom. And you're changing yeah. Super Baby right there on aisle four, then you're right. possibly going to see a Super Moon. Ah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I'm tracking yeah. now. It all it's all coming together. I Why mean, aisle four? <laughs> it knows what it did. Sure, I assume that's where the the, the paper goods are, just in case you need some backup. Oh, that's, that's a good point. I'm just saying, be cool, Super Moon. Okay, like the Super Moon thinks it's better than you. Right, it should be all pushy. Right, you know what I mean, like. He's right. back with the super moon. Yeah, okay. We're all fine with the regular moon. Right. <laughs> so sure. just, we don't need any newfangled moons. Right. Did, did the super moon kick sand in your face when you were on a date at the beach? Well, it's like, you know, he, he was always walking around flexing his muscles <laughs> right. and everything. It's like, right. we don't need that around here. Right, okay. Yeah. So, sure. Well, you do make a good point with the. It does seem like a couple of years ago, when I'm pretty sure the Supermoon was invented sometime in 2013. So I don't recall hearing about Supermoon before then. Right. Um. You know, it was new and exciting. It was you right. Know, people, right. People, right. You, you would go outside and watch the Supermoon. And That's right. News coverage. We thought that was going to come and go away and never come back again. That's right. It was going to be a Haley's Comet kind of situation. Yep. You had to go see it. No, just Supermoons every other month. That's yeah. right. It just keeps happening. Supermoon. And uh, do we do we even know what that supermoon is up to? Who's in the pocket of big supermoon? That's the thing we need to get to Let the bottom of. Let me ask of. you a question. What's the supermoon agenda? Okay, now you're speaking my language. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, what is that supermoon trying to pull? Yeah, yeah. Because at first you had regular moon. Sure, yeah. Regular moon's great. Everybody likes regular moon. Yeah, sure. We didn't need anything besides regular moon. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, supermoon comes in. Thinks it's so great. It, it elbows regular moon out of the way. Ever since supermoon got so big, just thought he was so awesome. Right. Yeah. And then there was the supermoon agenda. I mean, back in the day, you used to be able to use words like super and moon as pejoratives. Right. You know? And now I just feel like I can't say anything without offending supermoon. Yeah. That's right. It's like you have to be all politically correct about right. the supermoon. Yeah. So, you know, so I'm dealing with that. That's okay. a lot. Well, you mm-hmm. sound like you're handling it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very no balanced. unhinged rants at all. Right. Frogboy does live on the supermoon, does he, Glenn? Well, I think we don't have proof of not that. Uh, that's certainly true. What there is proof of, if you live in the uh, the greater Chicagoland area, lots and lots of proof of it is current, uh, something that people thought was e- going to be even rarer than the supermoon. Mm. The mm. Chicago Cubs, Ooh. very recently, as we record this on a Sunday, last Wednesday, Chicago Cubs took home the 2016 World Series. That's a baseball. Ooh. We call it the World Series. It's pretty much just America. 
and Toronto. <laughs> Toronto's that's, really holding in there, keeping that a world that's series. That's more than one country, so back off, everybody, with your World Series. Yeah. Call it a World Series. That's Supermoon talk is what that yeah, is. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Big Supermoon. This, this conspiracy goes deep. Yeah. yeah. But as you may expect, um, it's been 108 years. Uh, people were excited. Mm-hmm. As I pointed out, and I think uh, Glenn and Jed can both, uh, given the amount of time, can both claim this that they like, um, no, there had not been any breaking of 108-year title droughts before I moved to Chicago, so you're welcome. Yeah, it's technically you, true. You guys are free to take that. It's causation, which is the same. Sure, yes. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, but that got me thinking, as, uh-huh. as with the Supermoon did, is, you know, it's a story. People yes. like it. We, apparently, it was the, uh, the victory parade in... Downtown Chicago was somebody clocked it as the seventh largest documented group gathering of humans ever. Wow. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a big deal. It was up there with pilgrimages yes. and <laughs> Olympics and political realities. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Of the number of times we've had documented numbers of people in a place. Right. That was top ten. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Needless to say, people were excited. Go Cubs. Apparently. Right. People, not so much us. Well, uh, uh, some of us uh, root uh, for the uh, Houston Astros on this yeah. team, and well, it builds character. We—that's exactly right. <laughs> and uh, I was happy for the Cubs for at least fifteen minutes, as which you both know. A good long, which is longer than we expected. And then I started griping about the the Astros next year. Yeah, you know. pre-griping, right. So the, Glenn is an Astros fan. Uh, Lee, as we record this, is wearing a St. Louis Cardinals hat. Quite right. major, uh, major rival of the Cubs. I uh, can never keep up with baseball for more than uh, five weeks of the season. Right. Start out every season with I'm gonna I got it on the app and I'm gonna socks and we're gonna right. do the whole thing. Right. And then you know they play. It's, there's so many games. Right. A lot of games. Every time you look up. Right. They're doing. They're doing this again. Right. You feel like you know. Uh, do we need, you feel like after like 80 games, we know who's good. Right, right, We right, cut right. off there, but they keep going, and that's yeah. fine. That's for them. Right. And uh, Jed recently discovered what baseball was. Sport! <laughs> not concerned. Jed, not a fan of the sport. I love ways. sports, generally. Yeah, sure. that's right. Yeah. You love it, the concept of the it. The concept of sport is fantastic. The British concept right. of it, because yes. here in the United States, we often refer to it as sports. Jed sure. insists on calling it sport. Sport! Which is quite delightful. <laughs> yeah. Right, yes. But, so all that means, um, you know, other people were happy. We weren't particularly happy. So other people's happiness only has so much, uh, only, only has so much intrigue for us in this podcast. <laughs> That's right. It's not much. But that did get me cooking on, are there ways we can exploit this to our advantage? Ah. Oh, okay. Now I'm interested. Exactly. I think, what, I think what we've proved, if nothing else, is people love an underdog. Yeah. Oh. You know, you had other towns and it's kind of, the, there was... Kind of widely conceived that if you weren't a Cleveland Indians fan on that on that for that series on that night, you were a Chicago Cubs fan. It was like a moral imperative. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everybody likes to see a big title drive. It's kind of you know, if a if a very small college football team ever gets into the championship, everybody's going to cheer for them. Everybody likes right. a, an underdog story, a Rudy story, if you will. Right. Not little Rudy because Notre Dame is three and six right now and they're terrible. Right. I'm I'm, I'm taking the advantage. I can get I can do sports jokes. That's right. This That's one right. Week, I can do sports it, jokes. It fits. Um, but here's what I'm thinking is there's a vacuum in the world okay. right now for a beloved underdog. Yeah. Oh. And I think, gentlemen, we have what it takes to be an underdog. Oh, that's definitely true. So what you're saying is people love 
a, a lovable loser. Absolutely. And, a title often associated with the Chicago Cubs for the season. And nobody's more losers than we are. No, we, we maxed it out. Easily. And we're we're totally adorable. I couldn't agree no more. Question. In our loserdom, we certainly are. Yeah. So, boom. Yeah. You know, that's that's where we're at. What I also hear you saying is, almost for sure, in exactly 108 years, we'll be the best podcast ever. Yes. Well, we've, we've been doing the podcast for four years regularly now, so we don't have to wait 104 years. Yeah, that's great. Oh, man. that's good. That's so bad. we're already, we're four years in already. Absolutely. See, some people would say, well, you, you've been doing this podcast for four, coming up on five years, and you, you've, to the best of our knowledge, we've never actually charted. Right. And isn't that a failure? And I say, no, no, we're playing the long game. Right. We're four years into our 108-year plan. That's right. Yeah. We're lying in wait. <laughs> That's, yeah. Well, this, is, this is fantastic. Yeah. Now, what part of what this means is some people who are listening to this now will not be around. Sure. When we ascend that. to our glory. But they can be sort of happy for us now as if we're, you know, already going to be there. Sure. I think that's very, I think that they, they'd be selfish not to. Yes. I have a question. The, sure. Obviously, our, the super fan, podcast super fans probably not going to still be alive when we, when we achieve our final greatness and glory. Not with the food stuffs they tweeted us, they won't. But I'm assuming <laughs> that we are going to be like, um, like our heads will be attached to some kind of like robot bodies or something like really? that, and so that yeah. we're like like and our heads will be like encased in some kind of Krang type um, Ninja Turtles, you know, uh, uh, structure, so that like we can, you know, our heads can keep keep on living, you know, Total, multiple yeah, hundreds right. of years, so that we can. Is that we're gonna have some kind of? Is that like in the rider or something like well, that? Well, sure, absolutely. I, I believe we've covered in previous episodes both the Super Baby and uh, Mecha Body contingency plans. What you get basically is like a fishbowl, absolutely, and you get like some pickle juice. Yeah. yeah, you put your severed head in there. Yeah, glue that down on your robot body. Yeah, you're good to go. Absolutely. That robot body. Let's say okay, what happens? Robot body. You know, kicks off, has a problems, whatever. New robot body. New robot body. No Keep problem. Going. Problem solved. Okay. So that's why we have the, the say that labs working sure. around the clock on yeah. this kind of technology. Yeah. So pretty much, um, you know, what I'm trying to figure out is in 108 years when we rule all podcasting. Sure. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think in uh, 108 years or 104 years is is has rightly been pointed out, it may be called say thatting. Sure, sure yeah, because it's we we own it and rule it in every way. But uh, at that point, you know, you know, and they've already got the four statues that they've carved right, out right, of granite for yeah. you know what. But you know, uh, other than that, you know, what are we going to do when we ascend to power? You mm. know, well, I think it's a good question. I think the, the maybe the thing to consider before that is how are we going to make sure we don't peak early? Mm. Okay. Because, you know, the Cubs put in the effort. Right, right. To Sucking for a long and, time. Yeah, you know, this is this was not a small market team. This was one of the this was one of the richest teams in baseball and it's not like baseball was at a consistent uh every other team was always amazing for the entire hundred and eight right. years. You know, they, right. so they really put the work into it. What you're saying is we have to be careful not to be too good too fast. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're right in that zone. Oh, that's yeah. the thing. I think yeah. we're on. I think we're on track. If we look at what the, the Cubs did, and we can emulate that. Yeah. Um, 
didn't spend any money on getting actual good talent. Right. Check. There. <laughs> uh, totally mismanaged the talent they had. Check. Check. Easy. Uh, almost ruined all the goodwill they had with the people. Double check. Double then check. crossed <laughs> over into lovable loserdom, creating only a fan base made of uh, semi-masochists and the incredibly drunk. Okay, this is just, uh, I don't need to keep saying check. This is yes, just clear. Yes, pretty obvious. I think, I think the main thing is we're right on track. Yes. Yes, you're saying that that, that, that people, you know, I basically what I'm hearing you saying is people would be disappointed yeah. if we were already almost the best you know, top-rated podcast. Sure, what's there. interesting about that? That's right. That's... I'm, I'm going to go ahead and call it now. You hear it here first. Okay. 2120 Podcast World Champs. There you go. Wow. Boom. Wow. Now, That's am I right. assuming this is like in the movie Demolition Man when, like, Taco Bell had won I the, assume uh, that most things are. <laughs> Taco Bell had won the the uh, the the fast food wars. Yeah. And so yeah. we win podcasting. So it's just people listening to say that and eating Taco Bell, right? That's exactly right. That's right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yes. Also known as jetting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we need to do a jet intervention on the the some of the food? Products we always need probably, that. but we don't have time. Yeah. yeah. Maybe next week. Maybe. <laughs> Let's see if Jed makes it. Quesalupa. <laughs> Quesalupa. Quick. Yeah. We get the robot body. Jed's not going to make it. That's right. We need the speaking of timing. Now. You got to wait until the robot bodies are ready, gentlemen. 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 It's a quesarito. Oh, please! <laughs> that is a burrito wrapped in a quesadilla. Now, what I don't, would be the point of that? Deliciousness. I don't know much and self punishment <laughs> about the Spanish language. Okay, I don't. Yeah, that's I, right. I admit that. Yeah, but I do know that the "ito" suffix <laughs> is meant to imply smallness. Right. Yeah. I have a feeling that does not apply. To the Taco Bell quesarito? Yeah. Um, I I enjoyed it. Well, that's really all we need to say. Let me ask you a question. Please. When the guy sold you this food item, yeah. did he say to you, buena suerte, when you walked away with it? Because that's <laughs> not, not a... that accent, no. That's, that's not a... That's not a I, I, I learned all my Spanish in Texas, but that's sure. what I'm saying. You did, that's not like a, 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 a greeting or a blessing, you know. Two things. A, yes, he did. B, but actually most merchants say that to me as I walk the, away. That's so. true. swear, Tay. Yeah. Yes. Why, and why? Because Jed is a lovable loser. Exactly right. There you they don't go. think he's going to make it, but they hope he does. Yeah. Wow. There yeah. you go. And on that basis, I would declare emergency off, but we never declared an emergency. Really We're lovable true. losers. We're lovable, We're lovable losers. We, we don't even know how to declare it. And... I think it's fair to say this is the first episode we've recorded since the Cubs won. The whole city's a little discombobulated. Yeah, That's right. yeah, a little thrown off our game. But we mentioned the uh, the mecca, the mecca bodies, the the cranging, as we, as Lisa artfully put it there. And of course, we have a long term plan. Right. It's going to take 104 years, but we're going to get there. Sure, for sure. In the meantime, we're going to keep putting out Bridgebox to fund, uh, to fund our unholy science experiments. Yeah, no sure. doubt. Yeah, but also to fund uh, part time our deacons division, which are our part time employees that work here in the city of Chicago that help us uh, reach out to folks with residential programs, help us get folks plugged into churches, help them get hooked up with jobs and housing, lots of other good stuff. We do that via Bridgebox. That comes to your inbox every week. You get songs, sermons, all sorts of good stuff, Bible studies every month. And uh, what's our topic this month, Jed? We're in right now, what do I do when God says no? What do I do when God says no? Is it Excellent time. You get songs from Jed, Lee, our friends Pete and Tasha. You get sermons from Glenn and myself, Bible studies, lots of other good stuff in your inbox. Only $8 a month. 
helps us fund both our carnival of mockery of, you know, our desire to live forever and our other mockery of our mortality, but also ministry. Absolutely. Right. We can right. do both. We sure. can do both. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox if you want to check that out. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. It comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, I liked your discussion on locker room talk. I think that was two episodes ago, if you want to go back and check that one out. It says, may you elaborate? We may. If you insist. My boyfriend is Christian, but I often find myself reminding him not to talk to me like one of the boys. When he talks about other girls he could have, that's not what one of the boys says. I feel uncomfortable and insecure when I overhear him talking with his friends or on the phone. He tends to be more vulgar and crass than he ever is with me. Should I be concerned or is this a normal guy thing? Glenn, I'm going to go to you first in this. Love to to start us out by... um, there's two separate things going on in this question yes yeah yeah uh to the is this normal one of them pretty much not a big deal yeah other one more alarming yes so can we divide out we've got there's the more vulgar when he's with his friends and me right is that a problem and then we have the talking about other girls he could get in front of me. Yeah. I have a feeling one of these is going to take less time to deal with, but if you could uh, give yeah. us a quick rundown of both of those. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess if we, if we want to look for, for the silver lining here, it is good that he's at least somewhat well-behaved around that you. That shows the ability to self-regulate. That's right. Um, uh, the, the, there is a We should institute a, a little bit of a full disclosure here that, that – uh, some of us on the podcast, uh, namely Jed and myself, can occasionally get a little bit, uh, you know, uh, blue. Use the say. salty talk. Yeah, a little bit of salty talk. Uh, it, but uh, Jane devised a system, my wife devised a system uh, about that, which she calls the civilized zone. Yes. Which means <laughs> w- w- the way that she described that is wherever she is, there's like a... A zone of civility. A zone of civility for 50 feet in any direction of where she's at. No one can say, you know, curse words. It's or, like a restraining order against filth. That's yes. right. And, uh, Geofence. Er- yeah, yeah nice. exactly. And every now and then, you know, she'd have to remind us. Civilized zone. Civilized zone. And we had the, uh, you know. So that's, it's good to have boundaries. It's good to, to, to regulate behavior. Uh, I, it sounds like he needs to take that uh, to another level. But yeah, we need to expand the idea. Yeah, it, which is fine. That's that's all part of the process there. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, I, could, I could have any woman I want kind of talk as. Uh, that's a little uh, much. Yeah, that's <laughs> no, dude. Don't do that. Um, but you know, yeah, I think uh, the problem with that is that, uh, and it ties into the vulgarity stuff, perhaps, is that we need to be respectful. Yeah. Uh, if you're using a little bit of, uh, if you're being a little silly and using, uh, you know, telling a silly joke that might have a little bit, you know, dirty element to it or something like that, or you know. Uh, you know, if it's well, know. it's important to point out that there are uh, plenty of women who are just fine with cursing. This is actually sure. a gendered thing, as much as if anyone you use a salty word in front of them, they say, "I would prefer we have a civilized zone here." That's that's a respect thing. That's right. Yes, yeah. The respect is really the key of 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 recognizing. You know, first of all, women have different sensibilities, as you're saying. Uh, but if you had that respect, you wouldn't think to be joking about other women and whatever, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Now. For sure, that 
you know, any insecurity that you take off of that, that's on you. That's a choice that you make. But if you have somebody who's trying to serve it up on a platter and feed it to you. Yeah, that's a different thing. That's a different thing. It's going to be pretty hard to fight 100% of that off. So even though it's your responsibility to whatever extent you take it, I think you certainly should communicate to him that's way out of bounds of that's, you don't talk like that. But particularly if this is a younger guy, this is the kind of stuff they need to hear. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And Jed, I'd love to kick to you on this. And there's, um, this goes back to the first discussion we had about locker room talk. Yes. um, Which is a functional, there's a difference. Uh, They both fall into the category. This is why uh, locker room talk is an intentionally obfuscational term. Yes. Which is meant to deflect from what's actually going on uh, in the initial context which you use it. There's uh, vocabulary. Yeah. Which as Glenn rightly pointed out, is a, a personal matter of taste. Uh, some people are fine with certain things. Some people are fine right. with everything. It's, it's whatever. Yeah. But then there's uh, the intent behind words. Yes. And uh, what they're meant to communicate. Yes. Which is slightly different than word choice. And that may be, um, it may be, our friend here may have a problem with lumping all of those into one when the only one of those is really the bothersome part here, right? Yeah, absolutely. So to give context, I spend nearly all of my time around convicts and musicians. Right. And, um, a lot uh, of carryover. A lot of carryover. And uh, which one seen... do you like better? <laughs> Don't you do that to me, Rick. <laughs> Don't you it's, do that to me. It's not the one you might think, people but at home. Here's, here's one of the commonalities about musicians and um, convicts is they all swear like sailors. Right, so right, right. Uh, no offense to any sailors who are listening. Yeah, no, they they they, they cuss much worse than sailors. Both, yeah, in both I, cases. I was talking with a, a guy as a, a recording engineer years ago, and he's trying to describe a dude to me. He's like, he's a nice guy, but he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys who uses the f word instead of um. And I knew exactly what he <laughs> yeah, meant. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing: is is that a you know a good way for him to talk? No, it's not. He right. wouldn't talk that way around grandma. So right, you know, right. you know, throttle it back. But the funny thing is, you can have people, and this is true for plenty of convicts and plenty of musicians who will swear like a sailor, but they're there's nothing unkind in anything they're saying. Right. They're they're yeah. not they're actually not trying to tear anybody down. It's mm. just kind of a coarse way of describing you know the world. It, it is not refined. Right, of course, in in that sense. And again, is that lovely? Is that beautiful? Eh, not not really. Mm. It it should probably be worked on. It's way down the list, but it it should probably be worked on. But that's completely, completely different from any words, regardless of how refined or not they are, that are designed to tear other people down or Mm. or make other people feel bad about themselves. So, Matt, part of what, what you're describing is... You say, you know, oh, it's, it's all it's all locker room talk. We need to get way, way more specific than that, right? right? If you're saying, I'm I'm hanging out with my buddy, and he's having a rough time, and I'm trying to encourage him, and I'm giving him a bit of a motivational speech, and there's some four-letter words in there and whatnot, actually, that's kind of a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it's being done in a little bit of a crass way, but, you know, if, if it's working for both of you guys, whatever. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if he says to you, my, my beloved girlfriend, I can't help but noting on this beautiful day, how many women look much better than you do okay well 
there, you didn't you didn't say any bad words. There, right, there, there right, wasn't. Sure. He was wearing an ascot while he said it. Yeah, it yeah, very yeah, yeah, exactly. it. it was very refined. It was very, very refined. But he's a monster, right, you know. Right, so yeah. uh, it, we, you know, you should break up with a person who says that immediately. Um, the, the thing I'd have you look at, and Matt often refers to this, is the Bible says say things that are useful for building up, right? right? Mm, not good, not for yeah. tearing down. Let's not worry too much about the crassness for a second. Again, mm. if you don't like that, it's fine to have that as a boundary. Say yeah. I want to be in a civilized yeah. zone. But if you're dating someone and they use words to tear you down, um, then you need to have a zero tolerance policy for that. It's mm-hmm. it, it's That's fine. Right. It's, it's fine to say, hey, uh, it's a new day. Don't do that again. Mm-hmm. If that persists, break up with them and find somebody else. Right, uh, it's right. it's as simple as that. I mean, let's be clear here. If he wants to go be with other girls, he should go do that. Mm-hmm. Bo- bottom line. Um, if this is a joke, he shouldn't tell jokes like that because yeah. they're uncool. If right. he actually wants to be with other girls, he should go do that. This is this is very straightforward. And you deserve to be with someone who is not wishy-washy about their desire to be with you. Exactly. You deserve to be with someone who uses their words to build you up and not to tear you down. I think that's absolutely right. And Leah, I'd love to get you to close this out on this. I think Jed brings up a very important point there, which is on some level this is just – Full on not okay, but you as a person in a relationship have a right to exert that. There is a a massive misconception, I think, among particularly among young people. Unfortunately, it's socialized into a lot of young girls, which is um, just kind of go along to get along in the sense of well, if they're not be if they're not crossing a certain line that's kind of way out there, it's naggy to say something or in a a much more uh, kind of destructive (laughs) way, just. If you really loved someone, you would not want ask them to regulate their behavior in any way. And the, the as we've talked about, you know, the swearing in the course language isn't a problem, but the whole trying to make someone insecure that speaks to a, a relationship dynamic problem, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the things that that I see a lot in working with uh, young folks is that no one feels like they have the right to make a call unless you know this one line has been crossed, like. I got cheated on. Now I now I have a point. Well, mm-hmm. you have a point anytime you feel hurt, offended, you have a conversation. I mean, that's the whole thing is that people do not know how to have conversations about the things that are hurting them or the things that are bothering them. And there is a huge huge misunderstanding in a lot of young people's relationships. This has to do with um it has to do with has to do with the books that we've read. It has to do with the movies that we've watched, the shows that we've watched. But there is a misconception that romance is based on attraction. Yeah, um, that's what that's that is that, that's the formula. If you're attracted to somebody, now you have romance. Um, and the truth is that uh, attraction is not the thing that makes romance go. The thing that makes romance go, the thing that makes intimacy go, is is not just attraction, but respect. Um, safety and unique exclusivity. This is the mm. thing that that people don't really get. But actually, romance is the feelings of romance blossom when somebody feels like you're the only one that does it for me. Um, th- this I I have set my sights on you, and you're the person that I want to be with, uh, to the exclusion of everybody else in the world. Um, and that's the thing that makes romance go, not attraction. But we have this thing all backwards and people grow up seeing the whole thing the wrong way around that that the person that the the person that I can have romance with is the person that I'm most attracted to and that I can most attract well that's not really it that these yeah. romance is built intimacy is built over a long period of time of two people saying 
you are exclusively the unique person in this world that does it for me, that I want to be with, to the exclusion of everybody else. Now, the thing, the reason I bring that up is, one, uh, most young people have never thought about it, just mm-hmm. basically have never even, uh, you know, criticized that, quest, that, that idea or that question in any way. The other thing is, um, this is what you're looking for, and it's what you deserve. Yeah. You deserve to have to be in a relationship where somebody just the, the way that they talk to you is I have absolutely won the lottery in being with you. I mean, I just feel like I've hit the jackpot. I just in fact, what I want to do today is express and make sure that you know how thankful I am that that I'm in this with you. This is so cool. I love being in this life and this relationship with you. This I I'm digging it every day. They should they should put out that bid and give you a chance to receive it and for you to express the exact same thing. A person who's saying to you, you know what? I mean, I'm sort of into you right now, but there's, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of other stuff I could do. You, you deserve so much better than this. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, um, and what you're looking for is that person who says to you exclusively, uniquely, you are the person for me. One quick thing, I totally agree with everything Lee said. I want to give you, there, there are really, with the talk about the other girls, there, there are three distinct possibilities. We, we've hinted at two of them. We, we want to discuss the third just very briefly. So the first, again, is dude's joking. He's trying to be funny. Um, he is not succeeding at that. Uh, and again, doesn't have the horses for it. Doesn't have the horses for it. And in and, and full disclosure, I'm a married man. I love my wife. Periodically, my wife will come to me and say, that is not funny, the thing you're joking about. Yes. Throttle back. So That happens to me. Plenty of times. Absolutely. It doesn't make it, you know, okay, but it's just, you know, Mm -hmm. these things happen. The second thing is a dude who's just kind of clueless and just saying stupid stuff and Mm -hmm. just not being observant, in which case it's about asserting a boundary and, Mm -hmm. and whatnot. But the third possibility is, um, him trying to create a dynamic of, um, nobody else will ever want you. You know, I've, I've got a lot of options, but you don't, you're pretty much stuck with me. So, uh, how about we do things the way I want it? Because mm. um, pretty much uh, that's Which is a manipulation. You know, it's a manipulation mm. and it's emotional abuse. Right. Yeah, that, um, and it's it is an indicator of other abusive behaviors. That's to come. that's exactly right. If there's a hint of that, we want to, in the strongest possible terms, encourage you to get out of that relationship. Mm. Sure. Um, because again, that that is abuse. Mm. That and and as Matt is rightly pointing out, that's generally the gateway to other stuff that's significantly worse. Yeah, and I think the difference between all those different possibilities is stark enough. It's probably pretty easy to tell. Exactly know? right. Exactly yeah. right. So um, that you, you deserve better in all these cases. Uh, some of them it's about you know saying, hey, that's not funny. Some of it's about setting a boundary. But we really want to put a special consideration. If there's any element of you know you, you're never going to be able to get another guy. You, I'm the best you'll ever be able to get with. So why don't we just do whatever I want to do? Um, we want to we want to call that a separate thing and deal with that severely and immediately. You're absolutely right, and that the key is as Glenn kind of points to there is in, in deciphering those is context. Yeah, and it's it that last one ho- again. Hopefully, is not that hard to to pick out. Unfortunately, uh, manipulative people can be pretty good at being manipulative. So you got to catch there's a context there. Um, j- the jokey kind of thing comes when um, either they're feeling bad. The underlying part of that will be they're feeling insecure about themselves and they try to make you mm-hmm. feel insecure. Or um, if you're kind of coming to them with an insecurity and they poke it worse, that's far more that third category. Jed's talking about that's not, that's not okay. And I want to go back to a couple things real quick with a, the locker room talk idea. Cause again, you have, you basically um, uh, there's a, there's a, a popular youth group game called two truths and a lie. Mm. 
where you uh, kind of, you know, bury one thing that's not there among the two things that are, and that's the whole game. Uh, you've kind of played uh, two normal things and a deeply upsetting thing yeah. right. here in your question. Uh, but I, it's worth going back to the other ones real, real quick of, you know, um, this person is, I have to remind them, one of the boys, again, you're hearing three uh, very happily married men on this podcast, at least two of which often get that exact speech right. civilized zone <laughs> yes. civilized several zone. years of marriage so that's actually not a big deal as, as glenn pointed out at the beginning um independent of all this other stuff it, it can it's a positive thing for him to recognize not not exactly like friends and regulate that and that's another thing of being young in relationships so you have not point out the point of dating point of having high school college age relationships is kind of figure out how to do this and the, if you've never uh, had a special friend before we have <laughs> right. to identify in which ways they are different than your normal yeah, friends. That's right. This is a big one. And the whole, I overhear him with his friends and it's a little more vulgar and crass. That's, that is before it got um, appropriated to mean uh, covering up for something uh, duly horrific mm-hmm. as it has. That's kind of more what people used to mean when they said locker room talk. Right. Right. There's a certain amount of boastfulness, a certain amount of gross out humor and all that. Yeah. Stuff. G- yeah. Guys will be, be, yeah. Gross out type stuff with each other or you know use naughty language and stuff yeah and and again even and it's absolutely true but even to take the the locker room kind of gender idea of it when you're around people you've known for a long time your close friends things just get inherently looser mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that's true for your volleys it's true for men it's true for women so, so there's mm-hmm. that uh then of course we again we have the uh the uncomfortable and insecure talking about other girls they could have super bad so how do we kind of uh, parcel this stuff out it actually goes back to uh the thing Jed was talking about with the building up, and that comes from Ephesians 4, verse 29 says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot in this show about verses that church people have tortured into meaning really having nothing to do with their actual meaning. And this is a big one because this verse has nothing to do with cussing. Right. right. You almost only hear it given in the context of telling people not to cuss. Right. Not what it means at all. It goes on to say what Jed mentioned about using your words only to build up. But one of the interesting things, if you go back into the Greek, if you look at Bible Hub or something, that word unwholesome, again, super doesn't mean cussing. It's taken from the Greek word that also means rotten. How about like right. a rotten piece of fruit? Right. So right, again, right. this is, if we want to say, is this wrong? Is this a rough equivalent of you asking someone for a piece of fruit and them giving you something rotten? Right. Mm-hmm. You right, go to right. someone and say, I expect a certain amount of uh, positivity and affirmation from my uh, beloved, which is true, and they give you this crap huge problem that's right that doesn't actually play into kind of vulgarity doesn't have anything to do with unwholesomeness i find i find a certain amount of vulgarity to be very uplifting mm-hmm. sure i'm a certain breed of cat but yeah, you know, yeah, it doesn't yeah. again so but if we're looking for what's a matter of taste and what's a problem it is that kind of rottenness element that tearing down element that's yeah. something again as all these guys point out that that may not be that may not be malicious on your boyfriend's part he may just be a little clueless and Lord, aren't we all, but that's the thing that needs nipping in the bud here. All right, move on to our next question here. It comes into our Tumblr inbox, and it says, I'm confused about Jesus being able to empathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way we were. Is that really true? But if he were God, he wouldn't be tempted to sin, right? How can he be tempted if he is perfectly holy? Also, he doesn't have to deal with things like regret because he doesn't ever sin or pornography because it didn't exist in his time. So how exactly does he empathize when he is perfect? And Jed, can you start us off here? I can. 
Uh, Glenn and Lee are no doubt going to cover a lot of the Bible stuff, but I actually want to start by asking you a, a responsive question and kind of a big picture one. Here's the question. Do you need your sin to be unsympathizable? In other words, if your sin was totally understandable and made perfect sense, would that actually be harder to live with for mm. you? Mm-hmm. And I think the answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, I think we live in a, in a culture with Christian stuff where we want to talk about being crushed by the weight of our iniquity. Mm-hmm. We're, a, mm-hmm. we're a worm and how terrible we are and whatnot. Mm-hmm. When the truth is, A, your sin is super boring. Uh, mm-hmm. B, this is another promise from Scripture. <laughs> there's no temptation taken you except what is common to man. Right. All been done before. It's all been done before. Everybody's struggling with the exact same mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and it's, in a sense, yes, it is, you know, it is wrong and, and we're not trying to downplay that. But in a sense, it's not a big deal in that everyone is doing this. Right. You, you're, you're not some sort of alien creature. Everybody else got right. this sorted out and you're alone in your, in your wickedness. But it's almost as if you, it, what you're pointing out is it's almost like you're intentionally looking for this to be a boogeyman. Exactly right. And the reason for that, I think you do need it to be a boogeyman, is that people have strongly hinted to you that shame is the thing that will let you change. Mm. If you feel bad enough and shameful enough and taboo enough, then you will make a change. And here's what I want to tell you. That's never going to work. Exactly. Right. Never, ever in a million years. In fact, just so you know, I mentioned I spent all my time with musicians and convicts. Um, Just so you're aware, uh, shame uh, has never, ever helped anyone change anything in the long term. Shame is actually the thing that's going to be an anchor keeping you right exactly where you are, making sure that that you don't change. I think the problem is when you read a verse about Jesus totally understanding and totally sympathizing, it starts to, to chip away at that sense of shame. Right. Because if Jesus gets it, it's actually pretty hard for you to feel ashamed of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think you don't like that because you've been told the shame is the thing that's going to get you there. Yeah. I want to tell you one more thing. The people who told that to you, they may be lovely people. I don't know them. It's not my place to look down on them. But I can tell you this. They haven't made changes in their own lives. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, not in any kind of long-term sense. Not in any kind of sustainable sense. I, I have a theory. I want to go out on for a limb for a second. I'm going to do so because you specifically called out pornography. I think you look at naughty things online. I think you feel bad about it. I think the people that you've talked to about it also look at naughty things online and feel bad about it. And none of you have any idea how to move past that. Right. And the best idea you've come up with is to call this the worst thing in the world right. and to say that anybody who does it is the worst kind of sinner that has ever existed. Right. It like rewires the pathways in your brain, man. It doesn't. That's, that is oh, factually Was that research untrue. widely discredited? Yes, that is factually uh, I'm going to go untrue. with it anyway, though. Here, here's the actual truth. You, you say pornography didn't exist then. That's not true. Um, and, there and are, are cave paintings. There are cave paintings of uh, naked people. Um, plus, there's the human mind. There has never been an adult movie theater more explicit <laughs> than the human imagination, right, right, right. friend. People have been having a hard time with sex for as long as there have been people. Right, right. This is not a new thing. Everyone, every person struggles in some way with figuring out what to do with their sexuality and how to bring it under the lordship of Christ. Mm. Um, if, you, if you want to do the most righteous thing you can possibly do, that means going to Jesus and saying, I'm a big mess when it comes to sex, but I want you to start telling me what to do with that. Amen. Well, and the other thing, the other thing I'm getting off of what you're saying is, 
God knows everything, therefore he clearly understands about all this. Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. He understands, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. He was trying to prove a larger point, which is to say, you all look down on adulterers, but you're all adulterers. You're all big, fat sinners, and I know it. I can see it. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus accepts you. He loves right. you. He, he knows all of the naughty things you've done, all the naughty things that you thought. He loves you anyway. He understands why they're appealing. He understands why it seemed like a good idea at the time. And he knows all the naughty things you have yet to do. Right. That's he right. still loves you. I want to challenge you to start trying to give 1% of the acceptance to yourself that Jesus already freely offers you. Right, right, that's right. the way forward, not shame. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. I also will point out I would really enjoy a remake of A Christmas Carol, but it's the ghost of naughty things past and naughty things present <laughs> and naughty things yet to come. I just think that would, you know, if, if any, I, there's been a lot of versions of A Christmas Carol. If anybody's looking to get an, a fresh takeout before the holiday season. Yes, yes, I yes. think that's certainly a way to go. And Leah, I'd love to go to you on this because I think uh, Jed brings up a, a fantastic point there of, and even if it, even if someone doesn't realize how much it's gotten into their head like that, I do wonder if this is, as so often is with bad ideas, something that's been put on someone from a sense of someone saying, you got to stop sinning. Well, okay, how how and why? And just, just stop it. Makes It makes the baby Jesus sad. Stop it. <laughs> right. <laughs> he can't even stand to, and you'll hear this certain, certain blessed doctors, he can't even stand to look on your iniquities. It yes. grieves him, and yeah. Jesus goes home and sits in a dark room listening to sad music and cries because of your right. sins. You right. made Jesus listen to the Smiths. That's Just right. think about that. Stop it. <laughs> that makes Jesus and Morrissey sad. <laughs> That's right. So, that, but that idea of empathy is pulled away from that because people look at, well, you know, God is so holy, he couldn't even stand to look upon your naughtiness which right. uh, yeah, kind of but not, yeah. really. not really but lee can you kind of uh take us through the the theological particulars of god being holy enough to be god but also being human jesus being human and the kind of empathy that gives him for us yeah i think that uh i mean i'm I don't know how how much I can you know really get up in the you know the ethereal you know I don't have a PhD in this stuff but I, I do feel like there there is a verse in, in Hebrews chapter four that says that Jesus understands every single thing that you feel and that he has been tempted in every single way yet without sin that's what Hebrews chapter four says as far as how the scripture lays this out that Jesus has been tempted in every way. Now, when I'm when I'm talking to people one on one, and they're and they're filled with regret and they're filled with shame, exactly like Jed's saying, I like to bring that verse out and say, like, let your mind run wild with that, you know. So like, and so they're like, what do you mean, like, like Jesus has felt the temptation to do that? And I'm like, look, here's all I'm saying to you: the Bible itself said that he's been tempted in every way, yet without sin. The funny thing is that like. We have a we have this this mentality that if somebody never gave in, then they don't really know what it feels like. Yeah. Well, the, the actually the opposite mm-hmm. is true. If you have resisted more than anyone else has resisted, you know more about temptation than anybody else in the world. Um, Say that we yeah. all gave in faster. You know, yeah. we, right, like right. I, I know how temptation feels when temptation was turned up to a three, and I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, I give in, I'll do the thing. Well, Jesus was tempted 
at the three, kept on going, got all the way up to nine, kept on going, got all the way. He never, ever gave in. He understands temptation at levels we have never even imagined. I mean, he's been tempted in every way by everything you've ever been tempted by, never gave in. And so when he looks at you, he's like, dude, I remember that. I remember that moment. Mm. I know mm. what that feels like. Um, the One thing that, that came to mind when I read your question was, um, you know, Christy and I have three kids, and which means we had three babies, right? And um, sometimes I'll be in the grocery store on an airplane or something like that, and there's just that baby that has lost their complete mind, you know? They're <laughs> yeah. just screaming with that, like that Jim Carrey scream from Dumb and Dumber, just like, and, but they're, you know, they're, it's just blood curdling. It's turned up to 11. It's the loudest thing you've ever heard. It's right in your ear hole. And, and you can see people in the grocery store or on the airplane just scoffing, just these looks on their faces like, shut that baby up. And the feeling that I always have, and Christy and I talk about this together, is, oh, that poor mom. Oh, that poor dad. Oh, my gosh, dude. I, I literally feel like I just want to walk over and give you $20 and just say, like, this too shall pass, my man. Or like, hey, um, hey here's a Starbucks gift card for you, mom. I know it's 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 a hard day. I promise you it gets better. My 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 you know, my oldest is 13. She brushes her own teeth, she does her own homework, she you know, she can bring in the groceries, the whole thing, she can make her own breakfast. I promise you you're going to get through this. Now, the reason that I feel so much empathy and compassion is I remember exactly what that felt like in the grocery store, on the airplane, in the restaurant, the whole deal. I was there. I lived that. And that's what Hebrews chapter 4 is saying for you is that Jesus didn't just he didn't just watch from on high, you know, the heart of the holy God, just looking at sinners and just shame, you know, pointing at all of us and, and screaming from the heavens with all of the angels pointing as well. He came down here and he got his hands dirty and he became a human being with, with uh, you know, like he went through puberty. And he had all of that sexual desire and all of that sexual tension and all of that, the flirtatious glances and, you know, girls that were cute and the whole, the whole thing, he felt all of it. People stabbing him in the back, wanting to feel important, wanting to be known and the feelings of jealousy, all of that stuff that we've all been tempted by and all of the myriad ways that we've given into it. And he's able to look at us and go, it's okay, my man. I mean, I understand exactly what that feels like. I remember that day. I remember when I was standing in your shoes. I remember how hard that is. We're going to get through this. That's the way that he feels. And, and the thing is, is that the closer that we get to that kind of understanding, that kind of grace and stuff, we can look at not only ourselves, as Jed is, is advising you to do, to give yourself that kind of grace, but it gives you the ability to have patience and grace on other people as well. And to say, you know what, what you're doing right now, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. It, it's it's a good guess. You know, like uh, when, when I see a high school kid who um, has a terrible home life, and and so what they do is every single morning in the shower they smoke a blunt, and it's like, yeah, yeah I see why you do that. That makes that makes a, a lot of sense. Your home is filled with tension and and screaming and stuff like that. And that's your best guess of how to make it through this day without completely losing your mind. Jesus understands. Now, he wants to move us to a place, but he understands because he's been there. He actually understands temptation more than we do. He never gave into it. That means he understands depths of it that we've never even begun to experience. 
That's a really fantastic way to take that. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to kind of close this up by uh, digging in a little bit more to what this actual verse that uh, Lee mentioned in Hebrews there, because there's actually some some clues in there to what we actually mean about that, right? For sure. I, I think part of the problem we have here uh, is understanding what what we're talking about with temptation. Uh, first and foremost, the, the, the Greek word there is paranzo, and the idea behind that is if you take that word, look for all the instances of that word in the Bible, in the New Testament, and then you look at all the different English words that that's translated into, it's probably about twice as often translated into the English word test Mm -hmm. than it is to the word tempt. And if you think test every time you read the word tempt in the Bible, you'll actually be closer to understanding it, I think. Mm-hmm. Because everything these fellows are, are talking about is a process of being tested. Someone's trying to put something on you, and you either pass that test or you fail that test, and that Jesus passed that test. And as Lee's pointing out, that means he knows and he understands the process of dealing with that, fighting it, overcoming it, and so forth. And he understands, uh, as as Jed was pointing out, how one could fall to that. Mm-hmm. You know, that because he knows everything, yeah. and he understands that. Uh, I, I, you know, the, uh, to extend Lee's analogy, uh, parents teach their child to walk. Uh, when the child falls, that parent does not say, "I cannot stand to look upon your falling." <laughs> I don't understand how on earth a person could fall. Our fellowship is broken. <laughs> That's right. That's not how that works. People who are crazy that say these things. So, uh, yeah, uh, it, the the problem we have with the word tempt uh, that really gets us in a lot of problems, and I think it's the one that's causing you problems here, is we use the same word in English to describe the process of someone trying to get us to do something wrong and the same word tempt for the for the the point where i feel like i want to do that yeah. wrong mm. thing which is very weird when you think about it so i can say the english word uh, the english phrase he was tempting me and i felt pretty tempted to go for it mm-hmm. That it, it that's it's weird that that sentence mm-hmm. would even make sense because those are two totally different mm-hmm. ideas, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, if I take all of that and 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 replace it with the idea of test, you know that that he was offering me something with the idea of trying to get me to do the wrong thing, and I felt a desire for that thing, but then I did not do that wrong thing, and so on and so forth. This gets us closer to the idea of understanding. Uh, what it is that the Bible is trying to tell us that it's important for us to recognize uh, the that this uh, I you know I talk to people about temptation and they often tell me they feel bad that they want it even if they don't do it yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> dude yeah uh that's not that's not what we're talking about take the win take the win you were tested. You pass the test. Amen. Take yeah. the win. Yeah. Dang, dude. Don't look for this to be wrong some yeah. kind of way. Of course you 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 
felt some form of desire for it, whatever. You're you're human. You have flesh. Uh, you're, the flesh desires certain things, uh, but it's it's about whether or not uh, you're able to reject that utterly and completely, and 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 do what the Lord's asking you to do. That's all a lot of really great stuff. We move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says. My youth pastor keeps calling people out in front of the rest of the youth ministry. Okay. I agree that correcting ungodly behavior is right, but I don't know that it's right when it's in front of everyone else. I'm not, I am not in a position where I can tell him this, though, and I don't think I could word it in the right manner. What should I do? And, Lee, you are the only one of us who runs a youth group, and that's very good for the youth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really, yeah. he's the only yeah. one qualified. So what would you tell our friend here? Um, well, yeah, thank you for writing this in. I, I would say... A couple of things right off the top, and this is just kind of an in general about ministry, that the goal of good ministry is to set people free, not to make them feel ashamed of themselves or called out. Um, when you're in a good ministry environment, a single person is not going to feel called out in front of the group. That's not the way that works. Yeah. Um, in, in, in our youth ministry, there's, uh, there have been plenty of times where you know somebody gets out of pocket, somebody you know in the middle of the room and... And the way that works is I have people that are on my ministry team who then can take over in the moment, and I can very quietly grab that person or when the meeting is over, take that person in a separate room, and we can talk about that whatever that one issue is, either immediately or at the end of the meeting, one-on-one in a private setting. That's the way that kind of thing should roll out. But Good ministry, people in the room should feel set free, not called out. That's not a good example. That's not the way that should work out. But you do, I do agree that you're in a tough position because if the way that you feel about the person that is leading this ministry is that you can't have a conversation with them about something that concerns you, that's a tough place to be in. Um, one, because a humble man is already always ready to hear a good word, um, a good and true word. For instance, like, you know, if you want to look at like Galatians chapter six, it says, you know, if somebody's, if somebody's in the sin, then, uh, if somebody's in sin, then those who are calling them out should do so gently. Um, you know, and that, that's, the, that's the kind of good word that we want to look at, you know, for this, for this youth minister. What I would say is if you feel like you're in an environment where you can't have this conversation face to face with your youth pastor, then I would say, do you know for sure that there are other people in the room that feel that same way um, that you do? If that's a conversation you've had with three or four other people, then um, would you consider going to him or 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 her or having a conversation after you know setting up a conversation, saying, "Hey, we've got a concern. It's uh, th- there's been a thing that's happened, a-, a difficult deal. We'd like to look at it with you. Uh, you know, we're you know." Are you willing to kind of hear us on this and go as uh, as a couple of people and see if you can have that conversation that way? Um, yeah, it's it's a tough deal if you are in a situation where you feel like I, there's no way I could tell this dude this. I might be the one, the next one that gets called out. This might be where you want to start looking at praying through. Do I need to be in another environment? But yeah, the, the the main thing that you need to know is this is not the way this should roll out. It's not the kind of environment that you should be in from the first place for sure. Amen. It's absolutely right. And Glenn, I'd love to go to you on this. There's um, obviously the, uh, Lee's absolutely right. It's, this is not the way this should be going down. This is not particularly acceptable. And in a perfect world, you, you cut bait and we move on because Sue's not giving right. you what we want. But let's, let's say the, this, this is a person who is essentially stuck. 
Right. You know, my parents go to this church. They insist yeah. I go to the youth group. This is not a uh, this is not a don't go or find a, a better youth group uh, kind of situation. Which, right, right, right. Unfortunately, we know a lot of uh, there there are a certain number of folks who that's just the lot they have. Particularly with youth ministry, it's you mm-hmm. know, uh, I mom and dad f- throw me out of bed, put me in the car, walk <laughs> me to right, the youth right. room before they go to their Sunday school class. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. not too much to be done. What, what are the kind of things we can uh, do to either kind of. Um, get through, uh, maybe affect change in a positive way for ourselves, for the group? What, right. what can be done here? Well, I think, yes, ultimately, there's uh, this is a problem that's based on an insecurity in, in the part of the leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, let's, let's put some left and right boundaries. If your leader is calling out bad behavior because— you know, Trevor is jumping around and put that fire out, Trevor. Yeah, it, the, exactly. That's a little bit different. Trevor kind of has that coming. Okay, so and uh, there's a certain amount of self-preservation on the part of youth group leaders, right? That you know, we we only have so many couches. Right. Yeah. That's right. And it also may be good to point out, Trevor, don't set that on fire. And nobody else set anything on fire if it if it comes to that. So that's that's a different kind of thing. If if he says, "Hey, I I don't think you guys are committed as much as you should be," and especially you, Trevor, yeah, that is way out of bounds, <laughs> dude. I mean, that's nowhere near. But that the reason why you would do that is because you don't have the courage to pull Trevor aside, look him in the eye, and say. Yeah. Trevor, my man, I need you to take it to another level, man. This is we're trying to do a thing here, and it would mean the world to me, and it would really help this youth group if 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 your commitment was uh, up a notch here. That's so. You know, I say this to pastors all the time: never, never, never try and solve your problems from the pulpit. That's that's a wrong way to do it. Not what that thing is for. And they all look at me bewildered, as if. What else could there be? Because <laughs> there's no way I'm just going to talk to these people. You know, that's the that I've, it, I've got an awesome sermon planned about how if Jesus was here, he'd go to community group. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, the the Matthew 18 verse 15 and 16. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If you let if they listen to you, you've won them over. That's what the Bible is saying here. Uh, maybe forward that verse on to your 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 leader person there, whatever it is. Uh, but I, I think uh, recognizing uh, maybe the kind of thing where you can say, you know, uh, uh, you know, hey, uh, youth uh, pastor person, this is a little feels a little funny to me. Uh, but here's the thing: if you have a problem with me, you can tell me. Mm-hmm. You don't have to try and set me out in front of everybody else because what you're what you would be trying to do there is to shame me, to use the embarrassment of that situation to get me to do what I want to do. And what you need to understand is I will slash your tires in the parking lot if you do that. So instead, yeah, or something of those yeah. lines, whatever. Hypothetically, that, legal the, department, the nice uh, churchy version of sure, whatever that absolutely. would be. But you can say, I, if you have a problem with me, I'd much rather you man up. Look me in the eye and tell me what that is, because I 
can take it. Yeah. And yeah. I know I'm not perfect. I know I make mistakes in here. I know I'm not as sharp as I should be on some things around here. And that that's your job is to work with me on that. And I'm open to that. But you need to hear me say I am I'm open enough for that to where there's no reason for you to say that in front of a group. You tell me one on one. Uh, so that we can go into detail, so we can unpack that properly, so we can find out exactly what you think is the problem here. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing that in front of the group is is not effective, it's not efficient, and it's rude as yep. all get out, so I'm not going to do that. And that's absolutely right. And Jed, I'll, I'll go to you to close this out here in a role that I, that I often find myself going to you for, which is Glenn has given us an absolutely true... A good and reasonable way to line this out that almost nobody on earth except Glenn can get away with putting these words in this order. <laughs> sure. sure. So with the spirit of what Glenn has given us, which sure. is, which is correct. Uh, let's say we, we, we don't exactly have the, uh, the self-confidence of a man who goes on prison decks and tells everybody <laughs> to uh, listen up because it's, it's sermon time and they listen. Sure. Right. Right. That, that of, that, let's, let's say we're, but let's say we're not that just hypothetically. Right. right, right. What, what is an, the best we can. And unfortunately, um, dear friend, uh, one of the, the big pieces of advice here is eh, high school is not that long. Yeah. Right. Odds, there's a decent chance that you're going to go up to dude. And if you, if you have exactly do it, everything exactly right, you're going to get well in seminary. They told me or whatever, whatever, and nothing you can do about that. But on the chance that this is someone who can be talked to right. and what's the end you always feel better, I think, when you make your case mm-hmm. in a mature and effective way. Mm-hmm, I think that sure. is part of uh, living yourself here. So what what can we do in that conversation to have its best chance of being effective? Well, uh, it's a great question. I think, and obviously we should know, we don't know the specifics of your situation. You, know, you, you indicate that you don't think you could um, word it in the right manner. And, and part of that may mean that he's just not open to anything, but uh, to say for a second that, that there is a window there, the, the way I approach it, there's a couple principles that, that allow us to work. The first is when you're setting a boundary with someone, um, you don't ever want to put thoughts in their head. You know, you don't ever want to say, right. you clearly think X, Y, Z, you know, you want to focus on, I feel that because mm-hmm. there's no disputing that, you, right, you, you right. know, your own feelings. And the second thing is you, it's always focused on what you are going to do. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to control your behavior. Right. I'm, I'm telling you what I will be doing. Um, so g- given both of those things, the thing that, that I would say, if it were me, is very respectful. And a lot of that boils down to tone. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of that boils down to, to tone of voice and body language. But let's call him Chet for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, Chet, I'm grateful for your, your leadership with the youth group. I have a concern because when you offer public rebukes, which I recognize is within your rights as the leader of an organization, I feel uncomfortable when you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is my perception that other people in the youth group feel awkward and uncomfortable as well mm-hmm. when you do that. It, it, it's an unpleasant thing for me to witness, even when I'm not the person that's receiving the rebuke. It's also my belief that it's not a scriptural thing. Um, I'd be happy to to go through that with mm-hmm. you. I'm sure you know the verses I would quote to you, mm-hmm. um, but it's my belief that this is this is not a scriptural thing. Um, I want you to know that um, I don't like this, and I actually don't want to be a part of it. It, mm-hmm. it makes me just feel bad. If this keeps happening, I'm either going to stop attending this youth group, or I'm going to find something else to do in this church 
when youth group is going on. Right. Um, you know, wh- whether that's joining the choir, you know, if my parents make me be here, joining the choir, going to a different Sunday school class, uh, doing doing something. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I just, I don't want to be a part of this. It's, you're the leader. It's your prerogative whether or not you want to conduct your affairs in this fashion. But I'm just letting you know where I stand on it and what I'm, I'm okay with and what I'm not. And this is something I'm definitely not okay with. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. as clear as you can get. Uh, that's as respectful as you can get. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to argue with there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there there's no say, well, it's, I'm just telling you how I feel. Yeah, you can do it how you want. I'm just telling you what my response will be. Exactly right. Exactly right. Now, what you may find, unfortunately, is that he may act like a huge jerk in the face of that, um, which is a confirmation <laughs> that you need to find somewhere else to be. Um, but we're sorry that, that you're dealing with this. You're not wrong uh, in, in the things you're saying. And if you'd like to shoot us a note and give us a few more details, uh, we, we'd love to talk to you offline about the specifics of your situation. Absolutely. I think that's all really good stuff. One of the uh, other things we can uh, point out here that's worth a shot, it's very specific to your situation, so we don't know how this could do. It's a great idea to try to get your parents on board beforehand. Yeah. Mm. That's mm. And that's it, in, in some churches, having them have that conversation is probably even a better idea, but it, in general— you what you don't want to do again we're i'm 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 gonna think of this and we have to think on a certain uh message management thing yeah. here you don't want to go to the youth pastor and then have your parents find out you have problems with the youth group right. via scuttlebutt that the youth pastor told the pastor who told his yeah. wife told it's a whole thing because that's yeah that looks like you're spreading rumors about stuff and even yeah. though that's not true it's a weird yeah. perception thing so the more transparent and upfront you can be with everybody involved that very much includes your parents and up, another part that that's going to do, as Jed pointed out, you know, this the respectful angle has a lot to do with tone. Uh-huh. Um, you can't be panicked going into. I, I have a yes. feeling yeah. that from the way you lay out the question with the, I'm not sure I can do this. That you're maybe a young person who's just never had this kind of conversation before. Right. It it, it sounds silly. It's a great idea to have a really serious idea of what you're going to say, say it in front of the mirror, whatever right, it needs right, to be. Right, right. Write out bullet points. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because you don't want to yeah. get panicked and that's sound that's huffy. Right. You also don't want to, um, you know, I didn't talk it over with Susie and tell her I was going to bring her up, but Susie doesn't like it either. Yeah. Right, right. You, yeah, right, right having right, a right, sense right. of how you think this is going to go helps you kind of yeah. uh, not panic when it doesn't go that way. Yeah. And if I could just add one little point sure. onto that. Uh, because we're 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 you know kind of trying to read the tea leaves that yeah. he may be bewildered and overwhelmed. The youth pastor, you kind of feel like you don't know quite how to do this. Well, as, as Jez pointing out, he's laid out sort of a basic confrontation here, right? Where you say, "Here's what I'm going to do," and setting a boundary essentially mm-hmm. there. But I think it's also interesting to point out. Let's say he's coming from that bewildered and overwhelmed point, and you confront him, and let's say he concedes the point, but is maybe a little defensive. Yeah. That may actually not be the worst thing. In the, the worst world. thing in the world. Yeah. In other words, if he says, "Well, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that," but you know, I just got so upset. And it's hard, okay. And it's hard, stressor. okay. I think that's a good point to ease sure. back and say, "You know what? I don't. I can't imagine what yeah. it would be like." And yeah. I don't. I think you know. I'm just talking about you know that it, in a in a perfect world, that's not the way to do it. Yeah. yeah. And and let's talk about it. And can I help you? And what can we do? And let's start solutioning this yeah. thing. So I think sometimes you know, sometimes you you know, if if your point is made, but someone is immediately coming with a struggle, even if it's a defensive kind of struggle, yeah, I still th- I think that's okay to kind yeah. of 
get that sympathy going, say, oh, no, I'm, I'm sure it's hard, and I, I sympathize with you, and I might do the same thing in your situation. Right. And so, you know, yeah, I think that, so understanding is important there. I think that's a great point. It actually goes back to what, um, I, I can't remember if it was either Leader Jed said, about kind of the temptation of take the win. Yes. With yeah. the, you feel bad. You want to go into these confronta- confrontations, which, again, is very, if you not listen to the show very long, is a very broad term we use for pretty much pointing anything out, having a conversation with someone that they don't necessarily want to be having. Conver- confrontation covers a very wide breadth of things, but uh, one of the things is specificity, mm-hmm. as Glenn's pointing out, mm-hmm. this cannot be, uh, this is a criticism of I don't, I, as Jed said, I feel uncomfortable when X happens, not you suck as a youth pastor. Yeah, right. Fix it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So we got to be yes. specific with confrontations. Yes. But also, you should go into it, if, if at all possible, with a sense of, looking for ways for this to work out. Right. Yeah. Right. Some people goal. get, so, yeah. Some people get so kind of ahead of steam, especially if they're not particularly comfortable with it about a confrontation that they're only prepared for, um, conflict and mayhem. Yeah. Right. That's right. So right, as you're pointing right, out, right, 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 say, well, I don't really like this. And if he says, well, I, I understand that. And that's great. But, Trevor's about to set stuff on fire. Right. Yeah. And I get, <laughs> that's, right, that's right. I don't have a job. This gets <laughs> right. burned down. So what are we doing here? Yeah, you can be sympathetic you can to look that. For, say, I understand that. But yeah. Do we yeah, agree yeah. with you? Can looking for uh, agreements is is yeah. another way, a kind of niche level thing on that. And Lee, one thing to close. Well, this out. just just to double back on something you said earlier, I, I think we you kind of covered it in a cursory way, and we need to really highlight it, which is. If when you go into a situation like this, if you can have an objective and if you can have your specifics lined out, it's going to majorly affect the. It's going to affect your your um, your kind of emotional temperature as you do it, and it's going to help you to not be scattered and all over the place. Just as these guys are saying, if you can if you can stay on script, really, uh, these yeah. are the things that I want to point out. These are the things, and I'm going to stay right here, and I'm going to give as much as I like the, the idea of. And it's a thing that people don't know how to do because they don't know how to do conflict at all. But the idea of doing conflict in a way where you are firm on your objectives, but you're generous on every other possible thing, that yeah. is a beautiful skill. Um, when and and when when you when you meet people that are really good at handling conflict well, you'll find that they can do that. They will concede ten points and they will hammer home that one that was their whole objective the whole time. And if you can be generous. While um, being, you know, laser focused on what our what our goals are, I need to express this. I need to tell you that I these are the ways I'm going to be behaving is exactly as Jed says, and then that gives you the ability to be just super generous, just as as Glenn is saying about all this other stuff, without just kind of losing your mind and just throwing punches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's all really good stuff. All right, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com, or check out the song this week. Um, I think this it's it doesn't necessarily have any uh, specifics to any of the questions we have, but I, the general vibe I think is there. This is a song a couple of our friends from Nashville made for us. Zach Hughes, upside production work. Our friend Haley Connor uh, gave us the vocals. It's an old hymn called "Under His Wings." It's a lovely song for it, and uh, I feel like we we could all just use a little bit of calming. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's what the song gives us. So we really appreciate that. Of course, it did premiere on Bridgebox. So if you want more cool stuff like that, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do. To say that podcast, we solemnly promise to keep losing for the next 140 years. There you go. <laughs> Under his wings, I am safely fighting. Though the night deepens and tempests are wild, still I can trust him. I know he.
Safely abide forever.